to Stammer Preston, Brother Richard Hayes. Amen. Thank you, sir. Have your Bibles this morning. Be turning to the book of Joshua. You ought to be able to find that quite easy. It's right over in front of your Bibles. And uh, we want to look at the third chapter in just a moment and read a couple of verses. Now, I learned a long time ago not to argue with God about what he wanted to preach, but, you know, I, I thought about this morning. I, we've got several folk out, and I knew some of them was going to be out, and uh, we've got uh, several more AWOL. I don't know where they are, and, uh, but God knew the, who was going to be here and who wasn't going to be here. But uh, I really wanted to wait, wait the next week when the young people was over here to deliver this message, but I feel assured God has a reason for it being delivered today. And uh, we'll be reading, as we said, out of the third chapter of the book of Joshua, and we have the message entitled, You've Not Come This Way Hither Before. Now, I want to change just one word, if you'll permit me to, in the title of that uh, of the, our lesson this morning and say, you've just not come this way before. You've not come here before. And, uh, you know, we come to the place where we begin to look for a new pastor. And I begin to talk to people in the church. I thought, here's several folk that been through this before. And I find out many of them have maybe been involved in the selection of a new pastor, but they just jumped up one day and said, we've got a fellow we want to pass through the church, and somebody voted for him, and that was all of it. There's a little bit more to it as we look at that process that we're faced with today. And so I find out that even though I thought several was familiar, not many were. And uh, I won't speak to you this morning on the fact that we haven't come this way before. This is something new for us. It's a serious matter. We've been praying diligently. We've been uh, spending uh, uh, wakeful hours, and we've been shedding tears, and I trust that God's leading the church in the right direction. And so this morning, if you would stand with us, we're going to read to you out of the third chapter out of the book of Joshua, the first seven verses. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass that after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. And yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not nigh to it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way hither before. Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day I will begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. Father, we thank you this morning again 
for the opportunity of being able to stand. Lord, I pray that you'll give us strength, clearness of mind, and the wisdom, Lord, to impart the message that you've sent our way today. And God, may you prepare the hearts of your children to receive what you're about to say to us. Bless that one that might be here this morning that doesn't know your Son and Savior. We ask in Christ's name, amen. I would like to say we're talking primarily not only to Christians today, but to the church, to the Sunny Hills Baptist Church. But I do want to take a moment to say that if you're here and you don't know for sure that if you died today, you'd wind up in heaven. When we have this invitation, or maybe you can't even wait, you come to this altar and ask somebody to take the word of God and show you how you can change your direction from hell to heaven. But as we begin to talk to the church this morning, you know, there's some things that God gives to his people that is hard for others to understand. I was listening to a song the other day, and it said, I'm kind of homesick for a land that I've never seen. And I know the world had picked that apart and say, how can you be homesick for some place you've never seen? I, on the one side, kind of laugh because it sounds humorous, but the on the other side, I kind of cry because of the sadness of the fact they don't understand. Heaven's a place I've never seen. I've never seen the angels and the heavenly hosts. I've never seen God, the throne that he sits on, and the river that flows from it. Sometimes I get kind of homesick for that land. I just thought I'd throw that in this morning. As we begin to think about this church and where she stands, it's important, my dear friends, that we keep a strong, motivated church that we might take as many to heaven with us that it's possible to do so. Paul reminds us over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, that everything that happened to Israel happened for our admonition, for our example. When I read about Israel and begin to look at all the things that happened to them, I saw the mistakes that they made and how that God brought punishment on them. I saw the right decisions they made and how that God blessed them and how that sometimes God even blessed them when they made wrong decisions. As I took those physical events that happened to Israel and gave them a spiritual application to the lives of the children of God today, I find it not only edifying but a great blessing and a great comfort to know that the same God still sits on the throne and still provides for his own. And so I marvel at the similarity of the place that Sunny Hill stands this morning 
at the place that Israel stood some 3,500 years ago. You know the story how that uh, Israel started out when God made a promise to Abraham. And then there was Abraham and his son Isaac and then his grandson Jacob. And his grandson's children, he had, his grandson had five, uh, 12 children. And they sold one of them in captivity down into Egypt. And a famine came to the land and the other brothers and Jacob himself had to go down into Egypt to keep from starving to death. And there's where Israel grew up. There's where God's people grew up in Egypt, which is a type of the world. That's where the New Testament church is growing up today, in the midst of the world. And so we find out here that as those people grew and as the number increased and as the taskmasters got harder, there came a time when they cried out of a sincere heart unto God. And God decided he would deliver them from the world. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you come to the place where you want to be delivered from the world and you cry out to God with a sincere heart, he will deliver you. And so God looked out over the backside of the desert. He found a man there by the name of Moses. Now I marvel at the fact that God chose Moses for this task. There's only one mystery in my mind that's greater than God's choice of Moses. And that was God's choice of me. But God chose Moses that day and he said to Moses, he said, I want you to go down and I want you to deliver my people. Moses, like many of us, began to make excuses. God, I can't do it because of this. God, here's the reason I can't do that. And finally on the last, he said, God, I just can't talk very well. I just can't speak to people very well. And I'll submit to what you want me to do if you'll let me choose Aaron, my brother, to talk to Israel. Of course, I'm paraphrasing this. God more or less said, Moses, I don't care who you have to talk to Israel. I'm going to talk to you. And you can talk to them and they can talk to Israel. But Moses, I'm talking to you. And so he chose Moses. Moses made a lot of mistakes. He wasn't a perfect man. He made a lot of mistakes along the way. And he made one fatal mistake. Of course, the first mistake he made was not leading the people into the land of Canaan where God wanted them to start with. And he wasted 40 years in the wilderness because of that mistake. But the fatal mistake he made was when he struck the rock the second time. God said, you'll, you'll, I'll let you see the land of Canaan. I'll let you see that promised land. But you can't ever enter into it. And so Moses led the children of Israel there for 40 years. And then if you'll notice something over in chapter 1, 
in verses 1 and 2. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, My servant, Moses, my servant, is dead. What a final degree. God said, Moses is dead. Folk, you've been following Moses 40 years. You know how he thinks, you know how he acts, you know what he's going to say before he says it. Now he's dead. As we stand here in this order, as we sit here in this order, as most of you, God gives just as a final degree. I'm not quite dead yet, but my ministry has come to an end. That's as sure as if Moses was dead. I'm no longer available. You'll say, why are you making such a big deal of that? You've got to face it. There's no turning back. The die is set. The decision is made. I'm, I'm soon no longer to be pastor. I've never had any formal training as a counselor, but I've learned a lot of stuff over the years. I've noticed the personalities of people and the psychological makeup. I had an individual come and sit out in my living room one day and said, Sis, my spouse and I have divorced. I just can't seem to form a relationship. And I said, I know what your problem is. You still think that spouse might come back. And I'm here to tell you that spouse is married and has children by another individual and they aren't coming back. You've got to face that. And before this church can move on, you've got to face the fact I'm not coming back. I'll be here in physical form. But as far as standing behind this pulpit as a pastor, I'm not coming back. That's not a decision. That's a necessity. And I'll be sure this morning as I'm sure that the light's on in here. That that's what God intends to happen. And so he says here, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all the people unto the land which I will give thee, even the children of Israel. He says you need to start anew and afresh with a new leader and you need to go forward. I begin to look at those things and understand that God said to Israel, he said just like I was with Moses, just like I was with your old leader, just like that I led him, just like that I supplied his needs, I'm going to do that for your new leader. 
And he says, here's what your part is. He said, sanctify yourself. Now that scares Baptists to death. Anytime you talk about being sanctified, we get more nervous than a cat on a hot tin roof. Somebody said, more nervous than a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I don't know, but we get nervous. But sanctified simply means to be set apart. And if you read the scripture, it doesn't say, let God set you apart. Because if you're one of God's children, God's already set you apart. But he's saying now here, set yourselves apart. In other words, prepare yourselves. Get ready. I thought when I was reading that, how that, we get ready to take the communion, we begin to prepare ourselves. We're kind of like Jack Howell said one time, he was on a plane and he thought it was going to crash. He said he confessed every sin he had ever done. And he confessed a lot of stuff he'd never even thought about doing. But in all seriousness, we need to get ourselves ready. We need to set ourselves aside. We need to get ready to move forward. We need to get ready to explore lands and experiences and victories that we've never done before. And we need to get ready to endure some defeats along the way. And so he says here, as I was with Moses, so I'm with you. Now sanctify yourselves and and separate yourselves. Apostle Paul wrote to the church and says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. There's two things we need to do. Number one, we need to separate ourselves from the world. We need to separate ourselves from worry thinking and worry influences. And secondly, we need to separate ourselves under God. Did you notice what he said? If you'll sanctify yourselves, if you'll prepare yourselves, Brother Van, I just might let you shout. I can't do it. I'm I'm too dignified. He said, if you'll do that, I'll do great wonders among you. Do you believe the same God's on the throne this morning that was on the throne in Joshua's day? Do you believe he's lost any of his strength? Absolutely not. Do you believe he still blesses those that bless him? Absolutely. He said, I want to do great things. I want to do some great things. But you see, the responsibility rested on the shoulder of the church. Are you willing to sanctify yourself? Set yourself apart. Be committed unto the cause. Are you willing to follow the one that follows God? You haven't been this way before. It's a new experience. 
There's a lot lays ahead maybe you've never been through before. But if you'll stay with God, God will stay with you. And God will never lead you anywhere that he won't provide for you. I've seen some people in my short lifetime that has went out and made a decision to do something and laid that decision on God. God led me to do this. And I'm not going to go to a man and try to tell him that God didn't lead, lead him to do what he said God led him to do, but there's some of them I know he followed the wrong spirit somewhere. And I'll tell you what, if you'll follow God, if you'll make sure that you're following the Holy Spirit of God, God is obligated to take care of you. But you can say, I'm following God all you want to and get out there on your own decision making and God is not obligated to do one thing. I guess I'm slower on making decisions than anybody around anywhere close. God has blessed us tremendously here. We've built a lot of buildings. And when I say we, I'm talking about the church and God. And until this day, we've never borrowed one dime. No praise to the people. No praise to the preacher. But praise unto God. And I remember when we started talking about building this oratorium, the last of our projects. And man, I drug my feet. I'm not kidding you. I let the devil get to talking to me and telling me, man, your health will never let you see that finished and, and you can't do this and you can't do that. And I drug my feet. And one day I came to the place where I realized that if I started it and something happened, God still could finish it. There's never been one thing that God started that depended upon man. And I stood in the auditorium over there one day. And I said, we're going to build this new auditorium. There, you've got three choices. You can either get on the wagon and help, you can get out of the way, or you can get run over. And I hope this morning that this church makes that decision. We're going forward for God. And you can either get on the wagon and help us, you can get out of the way or get run over. You see, the devil will do everything in his power to stop you. Joshua set those men through the host of Israel and said, prepare yourselves, we're about to go over Jordan. Two and a half tribes said, we ain't going. Don't you like that English? I, I sure ain't. Check with Sister Rodney and make sure that's right. We ain't going. In fact, to tell you the truth, I believe they finally put ants in the dictionary. I'm not sure. 
That had to be a discouragement to those people that wanted to go forward. And I wish we had time this morning to deal with those individuals that said, we're going to stay over here on the east side of Jordan. Anytime you're reading about Israel and where they are and what they're doing and the decisions they're making, check and see where they are in relation to Jordan. That'll tell you something. Because those that went to the west side of Jordan went within the will of God. Entering Jordan is not heaven. There's defeats in Canaan, pardon me, or across Jordan into Canaan is not heaven. Because there's defeats in Canaan, there was mistakes made in Canaan, there was people that died in Canaan, so actually the land of Canaan, when Israel went in there, was a type of getting within the direct will of God. Forty years they had been walking in the permissive will. And two and a half tribes said, we don't walk in the will of God. We're satisfied where we are. We've got plenty of grass for our cattle. We've got good level places to build our homes. We've got water flowing abundantly. We've got all we need. We're going to stay right where we are. Now watch this. I'm just going to give you a little bird's eye view of a move. They said, we still go worship God. They went out there in the middle of the land and they built them some altars to God. And they worshiped God. But if you'll follow their history, it wasn't long till they moved over here to those heathen nations that God said stay away from. And the Bible says they built their altars near the border. Now, I don't know what the devil, devil told them in order to entice them to do that. Maybe he said you can influence them. But Israel didn't influence them, but, but they influenced Israel. And it wasn't long until the Israelites' sons and daughters were in a marrying with the heathen sons and daughters and worshiping idols. That's what comes from saying, I'm satisfied in the world I'm satisfied not following God. I'm satisfied not following the man that God has appointed to lead. And so after that, they came, and all of you know the story, even from the smallest in Sunday school. Here was the River Jordan, and it not only was a wide river to start with, but it was overflowing its banks. You'll say, why in the world would God lead Israel to go across the Jordan when he knew the river was going to be flooded? And I'm so glad you asked. Because God always wants to check our faith. Joshua could have backed off and sat out and said, we'll wait till the flood goes away. And it'll be easier on God. And I want you to know it wasn't any more difficult for God to roll back the waters of Jordan when it's flooding than it would have been in the dry season of the year. Now I want you, I want you to see something here. Joshua said to the priest, get a hold of the Ark of the Covenant. Get out in front of the people by 200 or 2,000 cubits. 
And he said, uh, when you see the priest go down and start through the waters, he said, the soles of the feet won't ever get wet. Now, here's what I want you to see. You know, there's two people that I've learned to know pretty good. One of them is the devil. I, I want to know all I can about that old rascal that's my enemy. And I know he's real. I've tested him several times. I've walked out on the edge of this stage and announced to the people that he's my enemy. I don't like him. I'm 100% against him. And every time, without exception, every time, two or three weeks, I mean, he bombards us with trouble. The devil's real. But I also want to know all I can about God. God said to those priests, you get a hold of those Levites. They weren't high priests, they was Levites. You get a hold of the Ark of the Covenant and you walk up there and your feet won't never, the soles of your feet won't never get wet. And I want to tell you this morning, the priest didn't go up there and say, see if the waters would roll back. God would have drowned them before he would have let the waters roll back. They grabbed that Ark of the Covenant. That's the age of the river. They come up here and they just step just like they kept going. And just before the bottom of their feet reached the break of the water, God rolled it back. You know why? He was checking their faith. There's about 15 sermons there and we'll leave them alone. They got across the Jordan River. All of Israel got over there on the west side and they sat out. And what were they doing? They were no doubt was rejoicing over what great thing God had done. He'd roll back the floodwaters and let them come through on dry land. What a wonderful thing. And then somebody looked up and said, there's a city in our way by the name of Jericho. And Jericho had walls so wide that two chariots could run around it side by side. A huge city. And I'm not going into the plan that God gave to Joshua because it was a stupid plan. God forgive me. It was a stupid plan. I'm not sure I could have had the faith to follow God, in essence, told Joshua, if you'll lead those people around the wall, there's another servant there because the ones on the inside didn't have near as poor to walk as the ones on the outside. But he said, you do that for six days, and on the seventh day, you go around seven times. He said, when you blow the trumpets, the walls will fall. I never heard of anything so ridiculous. You know what Joshua did? He did what God said to him. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you'll do what God says to you, he'll do great wonders in this church just like he did for Israel. And then I'm going to give you a warning. I'm coming to a close, I promise you. I'm going to give you a warning. 
I know there was a lot of stuff that happened about Achan and stealing all the Babylonian garments and so forth. But they went on a little bit farther and they came up on a little old city named Ai. Joshua said, that little old big town we done overcome Jericho, this great big city, and God's blessed us, that little old bitty city sitting up on the side of the hill. Why, I'm not going to spend any time on that. Picked them out a few men and sat up there. And they whipped the tire out of Israel. And you know why? Because Joshua didn't check with God first. Joshua learned a valuable lesson, but he lost a lot of men in the process. And I want you to know I don't care how close you get to God. And I don't care how swift this church may grow in number and how solid it may stay in conviction. If you start making decisions out of reason and logic without checking with God, you're in deep trouble. And so the people followed Joshua into this land of promise. And once they got there, God had a plan for every tribe and every individual in every tribe. And some of them worked God's plan and some of them took the carriage way out and wanted an easier job, just like always people, God's people always do. But I will close with telling you about one of my heroes an old man by the name of Caleb. Caleb and Joshua was the only two men that went into the land of Canaan that was at least 60 years of age. God had told Caleb back over at Kadesh, he said, you can have that land up there where the mountains are. Where the grapes grow so big, it takes two men to carry one cluster. You can have that land. But he said, Caleb, there's some giants up there. And 40 years later, they come into this land, and the same promise that God made to those people at Kadesh was enforced. But Joshua, this great, and Joshua was another one of my heroes, but he made a mistake here. He said to Caleb, said, now your tribe's got out pretty small. You don't have near as many people as you used to have. And do you know those giants still live up on that mountain? And Caleb, you'd be better off to take this little piece of land down here. And Caleb said, Joshua, are you crazy? Now, it doesn't say that in your Bible. It says that in my scripture. Gibbs Bible. He said, God said I could have that mountain. And I want that mountain. Joshua said, Caleb, if that's what you want, you take it. And he took that little old handful of untrained Israelites and ran those giants off the land. You know why? Because God gave it to them. God never fails his promise. He still wants to do great wonders among his people. 
And if you'll sanctify yourself, set yourself aside to the task, God will do it. And he'll even run the giants up if it's necessary. I suppose God said, I'm going to send you a small group this morning because that's where the core is. And I hope and pray that we that are here this morning will dedicate ourselves to following a new leader, whoever that it is, wherever that he leads us as long as he follows us. I'll ask you to stand if you would, please. Be out of prayer and song leader come. Brother Mac will be on my right. Brother Van on my left. I believe that'll be a sufficient number this morning.